for the person struggling, it's hard, man. You just got to let your guard down a little bit. It doesn't mean that you have to let it all the way down and let anyone walk through, but there, there are people that will come into your life that are definitely lights, and you kind of you're going to have to let, let them in. And, and that means that in some way you're going to have to change. And I think even now we kept hearing in the very beginning of COVID that, you know, the get back to normal. Well, uh, for me, there, normal was never going to happen again. Welcome to St. Louis in Tune, where we look to live a more informed life. Our weekly podcast rounds out the edges of unsettled questions in current and historic events, the arts, history, and justice, to name a few. We are connecting the Gateway City to our country's cultural fabric and lives. The show is co-hosted by Arnold Stricker and Mark Langston. I'd like to introduce Chris Lee. He's the owner of Salt and Light Leather. And Chris has a very unusual story, and I'm going to let him tell it, but he's been through a lot. He's a, a very unique guy. Matter of fact, uh, Mike Emerson has says hi, Chris. I texted him this morning hey, Mike. to uh, get him to uh, listen in on the show. Matter of fact, a big shout-out to Lee Moss, former resident of Webster Groves, who's now down in Texas. Mm-hmm. And Chris has been through a, a great deal, and, and Chris it was a... He's still a chef, but he he creates things in a different way now. He doesn't create food as much as he creates leatherworks. Mm. Chris, welcome to St. Louis in Tune. Thank you. Well, good morning. Well, tell us a little bit about your entry into the culinary world first and how that began. And I know you're a St. Louis native. And what was the what was the drive behind being being a chef? Uh um I always say uh, my aunt Michelle used to babysit my sister and I, and and uh, she ended married into an Italian family, and we would go over to their house over in Edmondson, and I remember her father-in-law cooking pizzas, and just being so happy he made the dough, he made the sauce, like and as a bunch of kids who were running around and acting crazy, we all had an opportunity to make our own pizza for lunch, and I just I just fell in love with it. Uh, and, and kind of from that day, at like maybe seven, eight years old, I'd always wanted to be a chef. <clears throat> so my first official job was at Ponderosa as a dishwasher, and I moved my way up to the, the ranks of McDonald's cook and eventually landed with a uh, then-local chain, uh, Calico's, as a dishwasher, Okay. Left for the Navy, came back, went back to working for the Calico's name, and uh, there was a chef there that, that brought me into fine dining, and I did fine dining for, I guess, 15 years. That's all I'd done, and uh, had a setback uh, after we opened our own restaurant, my, my parents and I, Melange, which was in, in the West End. I had to have a hip transplant, oh, wow. and uh, wow. was set back for about a year. Kind of broke back into the the cooking scene. It, it, the cooking scene is one of those things where you're either on top of it or you're behind it. It's it's just like being in the weeds. If if you're on the line, you're either in front of it or you're behind. So I um, got back on my feet. Literally, uh, ended up opening up several restaurants here in St. Louis: Cafe Ventana, Melange, Hendrix Barbecue, uh, Chewy's, the second incantation when it was in Grand Center, and was slated to open a few more restaurants when I left that company and went to uh, the casino, River City Casino, opened, opened the bank, banquet facility, yeah. 
and decided, you know what, I'm pretty good at this. I'm going to open my own gig, and that was uh, Chef's Table uh, five years ago now. And four years ago, I was in a pretty bad accident. Mm. So now I've made the transition uh, partly because of my physical ability uh, to I do leather work, and I'm also in, I go to, I'm actually in seminary now. Okay, so let's let's we're going to kind of dissect there's that a little. There. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there is a lot there, and yeah. you know there's what? A lot there. I, <laughs> I appreciate you worked your way up. You know, washing dishes first. You have to really understand right. all of the intricacies and the jobs at a restaurant to really appreciate what happens and how things work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So at Chef's Table, let's talk about that. That was down on uh, Cherokee Street. What kind of uh, yeah. restaurant was that? Uh, we did catering mostly corporate catering. We did a lot of, uh, we are branching more into, I would say, like personal chef type catering. Uh, that's what it started originally. We did a lot of uh, gluten-free, low glycemic, uh, healthy food for delivery. And eventually, through that, we worked our way up into some of the, the bigger companies in St. Louis. And uh, we were pretty much in transition, or not necessarily transition, we are gearing up to start doing more and more uh, catering-type functions uh, that particular year. Now, I, I, I don't know you well enough to make this statement, but I know you well enough to make this statement, if that makes yeah. sense. That sure, sure. you are not the kind of guy that will take things lying down. You're, even though things may have debilitated you a little bit, you're pressing on to other kinds of things. Tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about what dramatically changed your career uh, in the culinary arts. Um, I would start with my, my hip transplant. I um, Early in my career, we learned, all of us that, that were in those type of, that type of work then, were taught you work really hard and you party even harder. Uh, most of us did not drink on the line, and, and maybe some did. I don't know. Um, but after work, it was always it was every night was a party, and and from a life of that, I, I kind of drank away my hip. So that that first year, um, after coming home from the hospital and learning how to having to relearn how to walk, I also I also got sober. I've been sober now for fifteen years, and that humbled me dramatically you know I, I realized that there is a definite end to how much physical activity i can do in a given day uh that everyone that surrounds me is just as important as i am and uh, yeah that, i mean that was it that, that there has to be some sort of there has to be a give and take with any sort of job uh in 20 oh man 2012 or so what year 2010 2016 uh, i'm in a ministry the christian crusaders um it's a motorcycle club that evangelizes to the hardcore biker, and, and as well as other people, but that's our primary focus. Uh, we were, uh, three of us uh, were at a local bar, just, just hanging out, praying for people. We weren't drinking. We were actually just kind of being conspicuous. And uh, that night, it started to rain, and the short story is we were on the southbound uh, southbound 141 by Centurion and Hawkins, 
and a lady got on 141 the wrong direction going north on the southbound road and collided with two of us. Oh. Uh, she killed my friend instantly and, and myself. I was It was a 70-mile-per-hour impact on a motorcycle. Uh, I was literally crushed from head to toe. Oh, wow. mm. So uh, I have a broken, shattered my arm, my leg, uh, had a collapsed lung, broke my sternum, broke my clavicle. Uh, I got a pretty big gash on my head. And effectively was put in a hospital bed for a full year before I could even really get up and start moving around. Wow. Uh, so when that happened, there was some definite, what do I do? How do I, how do I move through this? And <clears throat> the decision was made in March to just, just shut down chef's table. Uh, there was, I had some wonderful people that were keeping it afloat while I couldn't be there, but it was becoming a little too hard for me to manage from a hospital bed. So we made, my dad and I made the decision to shut it down. And how did you work your way into making leather goods? Because that seems to be well, like there's creative activity there in both of those things. But yeah, yeah, you got a I story from Boy Scouts, the, don't you? <laughs> I do too. You know, partly I always I always thought it was like kind of cool. I think I might have made a coaster too, Boy Scouts. Um, I learned the first go around with with the hospital stay that you cannot sit for any like television is no no way to recover. Uh, you have to do something with your hands and your head because you're you're going to go crazy and, and depression is always right around the corner when you're taking pain pills and you can't do anything. You're you're literally trapped inside your own body. Uh, a friend of mine stopped by the hospital and had asked for my chap leather. Thankfully, I had chaps on that night, which are heavy leather, mm -hmm. basically pants, uh, which protected my leg in such a way that I didn't I didn't lose my leg. It was crushed, and um, I said, "What do you what do you need my leather for?" And he said, "Well, I'm going to make you a, I'm going to make you a knife, and I need the leather for a sheath." And I said, "What do you know about leather work and knife work?" And he goes, "Nothing. I'm going to YouTube it." <laughs> so I thought I got to thinking, "Well, what? I, I have plenty of this leather. Let me YouTube this." So. Uh, I YouTubed it, and the, the movements, the mechanics, physical mechanics of, of leather work are pretty rudimentary in that they're up and down, back and forth, and side to side. There's no twisting of your arm, which I could not do. Hmm. Um, a maul is only about a pound, so that, that kind of helps strengthen my arm. Hmm. So I started doing leather work as part of my rehabilitation, uh, and once I got into it, I was like, man, I'm, I'm not that bad at it, and I, I enjoy it. So it's kind of grown from rehabilitation to, I won't say it's a full-time job right now, but it's definitely, I, I make income on it, and I think I'm pretty good at it. Uh, I've made, I make holsters, purses. I like making purses, which is funny. Uh, if you met me, you would, you would think <laughs> that people would hold their purses a little closer. But in fact, I make some... I've, I've fixed coach bags and, and a few other things, and uh, I, I love it. It's, it's a lot of fun. And, and it's, it is unique that on one hand, I could probably cook everything inside the animal, and now I can, I can probably make you something on the outside of the animal. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> That's the way to love do it. it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. D designing new things, uh, making new things, do you repair leather works like yeah. belts? And I think you mentioned you did yeah. repair yeah. purses and things like that. I do. I've repaired purses. A gentleman dropped off an old aviator jacket. I, I sewed that all back together for him. Uh, somebody had dropped me off a 
a rocking chair that was three generations old. So it was made, I think, in like the 1800s. It, the leather was dry rotted, and I duplicated the the back. There were two big griffins. I duplicated the griffins and put a new pan in the bottom of the seat. Like just basically rebuilt the entire chair for this for this guy. And uh, that was probably one of my favorite projects, actually. Huh. So how long does it take? So, yeah, I've, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've I've done all kinds of fun stuff that, as far as that's concerned, repair work. How long does it take to make a basic small purse? Like you have to pick the leather um, out and pick the tooling out that you're interested in, and you know, I don't know if you have to tan it or anything like that, or uh, do any kind of dyeing or all those kinds of issues. I do. Not many people tool anymore. It is time consuming. There's a lot of work. I use it's. I without ever knowing this, St. Louis has one of the oldest vegetable tanneries in the country, if not the world, and some of the best leather you can get That's for correct. saddle making and tooling. Herman Oak. Right. So I use their product. Um, huh. A purse from start to finish with layout tooling. Uh, I hand dye all mine. I, I've gotten. I've learned this technique where it almost looks like airbrushing, but it's all hand painted. Uh, it'll take about anywhere from ten to twenty hours to to make a purse. Interesting. And that's with straps, you know, every pockets and all that stuff inside of it. it, it it's pretty time consuming. You know, years ago, I had a there was a guy in Euclid, I, the Leather Loft, I think, is what it was called, and I had him make a a, a briefcase for me, a handmade leather mm-hmm. briefcase, and. I still, to this day, and that was probably <laughs> 35 or 40 years ago, I still have the briefcase mm-hmm. and, and use it. Uh, it's amazing the durability of it, the craftsmanship, and how personal it can become. I just mm-hmm. I still mm-hmm. love the, the briefcase that, I, that that guy made for me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a lot of fun. It, it, it is interesting once you start getting into it. it is, you're handling something that, I think lives with you it would be a way to put it. Like it it's something, if it's made well, it'll, you'll have it forever. I've gotten stuff, well, like that rocking chair was mm-hmm. a couple hundred, a hundred years old. Yeah. I've gotten purses from, you know, great grandmas that I've repaired. And it's just a matter of, of taking them apart and restitching them and, and cleaning the leather up and they're good as new. It's, it's, it's a pretty real, amazing. Real personal item, leather they goods are. like that. Right. Very, yeah. very personal. Yeah. 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 So if people were going to buy some of your, Leather goods. Where would they find it? Uh, I'm, right now, I'm I'm just on Facebook. Uh, I do custom work primarily, so you just reach out to me on Salt and Light Leather on Facebook or on my on my page, Christopher Lee. Ah. Uh, I had a site. I'm going to redo the page this coming year and have a landing page for people to contact me from as well, which will be Salt and Light Leather. I, I have the the name already put aside on as a GoDaddy. Mm-hmm. Um, with school, I kind of just let that one kind of slide for a minute. Now, have you talked to a lot of different uh, leather guys or leather gals in the area uh, as as they are makers of uh, many things? You know, some. I, I have a friend, Hawk, that lives southern Missouri. We met actually at Atlas. Uh, they make tactical gear over in Fenton. He and I were, I wanted to learn how to use the sewing machines, high-speed machines for leather work. So I took a job at Atlas, and he worked there, and we became friends. He does some amazing sheaths and, and stuff like that. Uh, there's also a leather guild here in St. Louis, which I'm a part of. Uh, COVID has kind of stymied all that, though. We haven't been able to meet. But there is, 
it's interesting. There is a pretty large group of people here in St. Louis that do leather work. Uh, what is it? Cottage industry type people. And once you start doing it, everyone kind of uh, meets at Tandy Leather on Tesson Ferry. Oh, yeah. And, you, I mean, there I, I put my <laughs> card up, and, and I get business off of that, and I actually get to meet a lot of people through Tandy as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, one of the neatest things about leather work, which is a little different than kitchen work, is if you meet a guy that's been doing this for 50 years, he'll be happy to show you everything. Whereas in a kitchen type person, they're going to hold those recipes a little closer. You know, they're yeah. like, they'll give you a recipe, but they won't give you their recipe. That's right. They'll leave a couple ingredients out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's how I was taught. Yeah. You give them everything, but like how much salt to add to it or something like that. <laughs> so every year, uh, every, well, we used to, I guess this year we didn't, we go to our Boy Scout camp. And uh, mm-hmm. it, the first year scouts always have to do leather working, and mm-hmm. uh, my kids still have, and I think I even have something left over. Uh, one of the first merit badges is leather working, and uh, mm-hmm. they make moccasins. Uh, they make um, what else do they make? Uh, they make wallets. They make wallets. Mm-hmm. Um, coin purses. Coin purses. That's right. So the, the little scouts are always doing that, and it's amazing uh, some of the things that the yeah. kids can make. I, I think it's, am- uh-huh. it's fan- fascinating to me anyway. But yeah. So it's, it's one of the very first. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. So, so have you talked to some of the yeah, I, chefs in town to uh, see if they need any leather goods for their restaurants or, or their personal attire? Uh, you know, some. I've made a few aprons for people. Uh, I made all of the menu covers for Mary Jane's Brothers down in cool. St. Genevieve. Uh, those are buffalo hide with an embossing on the front of them. I, I did that a few years ago. Uh, I, I, I do have a machine now, and I'll turn out my first knife bag in less than a month. It should be done by Christmas, and Whoa. I'll post that up on Facebook. Cool. So I, I, I am going to start making um, – I do journal covers and the idea is I'm going to start making, uh, for young chefs, they have to have, they should have a notebook somewhere on their person. Uh, and I'm going to make, start making small notebook covers with, you know, pigs or cows or wee chef or something on there that gets some personal <laughs> items that they'll have for the rest of their lives. What, yeah. Whatever uh, yeah. <laughs> kind of of meat they like there. Right. You know, whether it's, or, or if they like yeah. the bird yeah. or maybe they're <laughs> completely <laughs> vegan right, or right, something. Right. And, that, the, and the know, older the leather, cheaters, you know, some recipes, yeah. And the older that leather gets, the better it is. So if you have one of those books and you're a chef, you know, oh, it's more supple and yeah, oh, yeah. They, love that. They patina over beautifully. Yeah. So, so before we get into an, an another deeper issue here, what what do you put on leather? What do you recommend to put ah. on leather to keep it treated to? And how often should that be done? Uh, you know, I. Ed, at Chuck's Boots, there's a product called BIC, B-I-C-K. Uh, there's BIC 1, which is a little aggressive. You probably won't need it, but BIC 4 is a cleaner and a conditioner. Mm. And saddle soap, believe it or not, saddle soap's awesome it's for cleaning stuff up and conditioning. But uh, both of which maybe once or twice a year, depending on the application. If it's something that's outside all the time and gets wet a lot, you definitely want to do it more often than not. But, you know, a purse or something like that, a little big four, rub it in, and it, it won't discolor your leather. It'll clean it up real nice, and it'll condition it. Hmm. Uh, that Usually, if you, 
if I do any repair work for you, I'll, I'll, I'll recondition all the leather myself. But uh, I think a, a little tube or bottle of Vic 4 at Chuck's is like five, six bucks. It's not very expensive. <laughs> so if you get a scratch on your leather belt or your leather purse and it kind of takes that mm-hmm. top leather portion off the color, yeah. it, are there, is there any way to repair mm-hmm. that? Uh, yes and no. It's a little more involved. Hmm. Um one of the things that I, you can use a little shoe polish if you can match the color. Huh. Um, and that, I think that's one of the things where I'd have to see in person and to know really if I could, if I could repair it or not. Water, water stains are my, my nemesis with leather. Hmm. I get those yeah. water stains. It's always um, tough to get those off. Yeah. yeah. I think, uh, Vinegar, you, you had mentioned the, the guy on Euclid, that's Steve. He owns um, Soul Survivor. On, I guess that's Manchester there. Hmm. He's in Maplewood. He's got a big store on the right there on Maplewood. And uh, he, he's been, I mean, he's been doing it for 30, 40 years. So oh, if, if it had something like that, water stains or things that are hard to lift out, he's one guy. Or there's a place on the Rock Road, Ram. I believe it's Ram that's been there mm-hmm. forever. As oh, long yeah. as I can remember. Right. Yeah, in St. John's. And they're, they're, I think they are the go-to people for, for cleaning leather and taking care of it. Huh. Whether it's a touch mm-hmm. with the creative culinary arts or a touch with leatherworks, you know, you, you seem to be doing that. So what's the touch with uh, going to Covenant Theological Seminary? <clears throat> well, I got to think, I don't have a formal education in the sense of college, uh, I've done some college courses. I, I, I can, I can, you know, I've butchered uh, some sauce and things like that. <clears throat> but as far as uh, a diploma from college, I don't have one. And I'm, I'm 48 now, and I got to thinking, you know, I'm going to need to ship my uh, career, and I don't have a lifetime to, to relearn something. So I think college may be the best way to go. So while I was studying, or not studying, while I was sewing um, tactical gear at Atlas, I decided, you know, I think my, I've got cousins who are mechanics, and uh, one of my cousins, Chris, does hot rods and stuff like that. I'm like, you know, there's a shortage of upholsters. Maybe I can do that. And um, so I applied for an upholstery school in New Jersey, and that fell through. So basically, I, I was trying to figure out what to do with my life after the accident. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was opening restaurants, one thing that I loved more than I loved cooking was working with the staff. Um, I wouldn't say I was a counselor per se, but when when you have a staff of a few hundred people and they're having some hard times, and you the the end goal is not to to get rid of them or you know find someone else. At least not for me. It's it's help help them walk walk them through whatever they're going through, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I had reached out to a friend that I've known for 30 years uh, that actually helped get me into fine dining. And I said, hey, man, I think I'm, I think I'm going to go to Brooks College to, look, to get a counselor's degree. And he said, no, man, don't go there. Come to Covenant. And uh, so I'm on a master's program without, without a formal college degree. So I, I had to take the MATS test, mm-hmm. um, which was weird. I, I took the test, and I know this is all God because uh, I think I got like a 67. The average is 60. So I passed with more than enough, 
the guy from Covenant called and said, hey, man, you've got less than a week to get in. Uh, what are you doing? And I said, I, I haven't gotten my results back. So he, I told him what my preliminary score was, and he said, well, that's high enough. And I'll tell you what, a week later, with little or no influence from myself, you know, you're if, when you're a chef, you start to meet all kinds of people. And I, I am one of those guys like, hey, I've got a guy for everything. And I decided in a moment I'm not going to touch it. If, if this is where I'm supposed to be, then God's going to make a way. And uh, I'm now in my third semester at seminary. I had started with a counseling degree and decided that I'd, I don't know if I'd make a very good long-term counselor. So I shifted to a Master in Divinity, and I'm learning ancient Greek, and apologetics will be is, is the track that I'm on, which is uh, defending the faith in such a way that, you know, it's a hard one to define sometimes, apologetics, but essentially my end is, is defending the faith in such a way that makes sense, that's not, um, I can't think that of doesn't, the word. That doesn't push people, but makes them think. Yes. I was just thinking abusive. That's a terrible word for that. Just think, it's not something where I'm trying to control the situation or push something on you. It's more of a, uh, you make the decision. I'm going to help you make the decision on your own. Yeah, Ravi Zacharias, the late Ravi Zacharias, was a great mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. apologetics uh, mm-hmm. minister of the gospel, yeah. and he, uh, yeah, I admired him, and I heard him speak live a couple times, and just a very brilliant man, and had a degree in philosophy, I believe, and then uh, went to seminary, yeah. and was able to uh, talk to not beat people over the head and help them think about right. things that are important and as it relates to uh, life and the afterlife and Jesus and uh, religions around the world and things like that. So I, I have a question. Right. As you were talking, who, who walked you through when you were in the hospital? You mentioned that like when you worked with staff and they were having issues, that you would help them walk through things. Who walked you through what you were going through when you were in the hospital? Initially, no one. The first go-round, it was when I was basically told, I can't drink again. I'm, I've, I've got a vascular necrosis, so if I drink, I, I, lose, I lose basically joints. <clears throat> so I, I went to AA, as a matter of fact, and I met a sponsor, and he, he helped me walk me through all of this. I still talk to him today. Uh, and it's, it's not, you know, hey, I'm going to drink. It's more like, is this a good decision? I, I think that people need someone in their lives to kind of bounce ideas off of. And, mm-hmm. and now uh, there's like a whole, I won't call them a team, but there's a community of people that, that when I'm stuck on something, I reach out. I, as a chef, you, you, you start to get after a while that you're on an island. You can't talk to anyone else because they're going to steal your ideas. Or, you know, there, there's always you're always looking for an in as a chef. And I, I've discovered in life that real life doesn't operate like that. You, you can't walk through life with a distrust of everyone. And uh, some, somewhere along the line, you're going to have to open up to somebody or you're just going to go crazy. So. Was that something that, Dana, I'm kind of getting personal now, was that something that you grew up with, where you had those kinds of conversations in family, or there was an openness? I know from my own end, I would say the answer to that would be no, and it, it caused me personally to be a little more 
reserved and um, not as open as I probably could have been. What about you? Right. I would agree. Uh, My family, uh, on one side, my grandfather was full Chinese. On the other side, uh, mostly predominantly Luxembourg and French. Uh, There's a lot of German heritage in my family. And I say all of that because as immigrants, you kind of stick to your own. And I think a lot of times when we had to deal with anything then, and I've really kind of figured out that it's enlarged because of depression, you take care of yourself. If you need something, you fix it. If there's something wrong, you fix it. Whatever there is a problem, you need to figure it out on your own. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily, let's see who we can get involved because then you're admitting some sort of weakness. And, And I think that that's been that's been rather difficult over my lifetime to untangle from that type of mentality, you know. Admitting weakness is really difficult. Yeah. And seeking assistance yeah, I, for weakness is even more difficult. Yeah, yeah. This second go-around was, was just mind-numbing how difficult it was. I mean, Chef's Table was doing well. We were paying bills, and, you know, we were operating a business, and my wife was getting back on her feet. Uh, for making a transition from one thing to another. And then to have that just completely wiped off the table was was terrifying. And we've discovered that, yeah, it's okay to be weak. It's okay to ask for help. And and more often than not, I think that you should ask for help. Um, I think it creates a little community in such a way that it's stronger and you're tied in with a group of people. You're no longer a a meteoroid floating through space, you're kind of in lockstep with a community from mm-hmm. that point. That's a good way to put that. Really? <laughs> yeah. So, so in, when you're done at Covenant, and I know you want to you know, work with um, individuals as it relates to defense of the faith, is mm-hmm. that with youth? Is that with young adults? Is that with older adults, middle-aged people, anybody? Uh, do you have a specific kind of uh, group in mind that you're thinking about? I keep thinking about that. I don't, I don't know the, the, I don't know a direct answer to that question. Uh, I would like to travel. I like speaking to people and I like, I love writing. Uh, it's something I discovered. I've known I've always enjoyed, but now that I'm in a situation where I have to write all the time, <laughs> something that I, I really enjoy. Um, and God keeps putting men in my life. Uh, you know, my, people like Mike Emerson and, and Rick at Grace Meeting Three, uh, and other other men that I just meet or I've known, and we have these conversations that it's not exclusively about Jesus or religion. It's just more about how to how do you live a life mm-hmm. in, in this environment as a man. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. uh, there seems to be a huge shift and. and I think everyone's trying to figure out where they belong in things, and I think that that will never change. But to come alongside someone much like my sponsor came alongside me and, and said, no, no, you're, you're kind of on the right path, but let me help you get all the way on the right path in the middle of the road, so to speak, as opposed to walking in the gutters. Yeah. So let's kind of... Tra- I hope that answers your question. It, it, it does, and, and let's transition this to, because it piggybacks off of right what you said, you know, what do you say to somebody else who's going through the same situation that you have gone through, whether they've been in a severe accident, whether they've been dealing with alcoholism? 
whether it's a maybe a family member who's got somebody in that situation, somebody's just been hit in a horrible automobile accident and they're laid up in the hospital. What advice do you offer the individual who's the recipient of those things, who's going through those things, and what advice do you offer to family members of those individuals? I think for for the person struggling, it's hard, man. It, um, you just got to let your guard down a little bit. <clears throat> it doesn't mean that you have to let it all the way down and let anyone walk through, but there there are people that will come into your life that are definitely lights, and you kind of, you're going to have to let, let them in, you know. Um, and, and that means that in some way you're going to have to change. And I think even now we kept hearing in the very beginning of COVID that, you know, the get back to normal. Well, I, for me, there, normal was never going to happen again. You know, my, my lawyer said, you're never going to be made whole again. And there, there has to be a level of, of acceptance there. So where do, we, where do we go with that? And I think that, one, you have to have some level of acceptance that it's never going to be the same again. And the unique thing about being a human being is we get to decide after that our realities. You know, where do you want to go? Do you want to, if you continue on the same path that you're on, you know, as an, as an alcoholic or someone that, that, use, that uses chemicals to make their life better, uh, you have to look at that. Is it really truly making my life better? And, and for the individual that uh, is lost, I, I'm, I, my answer has been faith. And I think that I don't know any other way to put this, but then there has been something consistent in my life since I've decided to follow after it that has been unwavering and I cannot explain it. And I, the only way I can explain it is it's God and, and that unwavering faith and just knowing that something, something or somewhere, something will take care of me has been, I think at the end of the day, what I hold on to every morning I get up, you know, it doesn't mean that my life magically became easier. It's not a, a country record played backwards or anything like that. Uh, I've lost, I mean, I've lost the livelihood, I've lost the business, i lost a friend, i lost a lot of things. But on the other side of that, I've gained so much more than I've lost just because I've been open to it. I hope that makes sense. Sure, it's a lot of its perspective, isn't it, Chris? Yeah, it is, it is. It's whether the glass is half full or half empty, and, and how you view yeah. yourself at that point of time when you're looking at that glass. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, our world yeah, has... And I, no, I think our world has I a tendency to make make it look like we're always half empty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that there there is something there that says, well, you're maybe you're not good enough, or there, there's something in the back of your head that will always say, what if, or maybe, or these things. And and I, if I've learned anything, you just have to ignore it. You know, when I first got sober, I, I was like, huh, all of these decisions I make are all kind of similar. What if I did the exact opposite of what I do? And I'll be darned if, if <laughs> it was pretty crazy. You know, I, I've, I've discovered, you know, in that moment that maybe Chris's thinking wasn't the best. Let's try the exact opposite. And some pretty cool things happened in my life, you know. Uh, I, couldn't, I could probably write a book of all the, the crazy opportunities I've had since, since those moments of making that decision. Like, well, Chris wasn't always right, so let's try something different, you know. And I think that comes from perspective, it comes from an openness, and it comes from a willingness to, to make those decisions and stick to them. You know, and, and unfortunately, that, that's going to mean a lot of courage, 
has sung that stuff. There's a lot of white knuckle moments in my life for sure. There are, and Mark, this you know, just being able to talk to Chris was something that there was this. I saw this story, uh-huh. and was reading about his story, and was like, his story needs to be told more, mm. and because the the information I was reading was actually several years old, and was able mm-hmm. to make contact with him and schedule this interview and. I really greatly appreciate you taking time out of your day to talk to us here, uh, Chris. What what a great journey that Chris has had, you know, from riding a motorcycle. Uh, and what a, what an accident! I can't imagine having an accident on a motorcycle. I mean, it's just just beyond my record. I just can't imagine it. Uh, and then what Chris has gone through, uh, I think there is definitely divine intervention here, Chris. Yes. And I, yeah. I, I, I applaud you for being open to the Lord's uh, direction, you know? Yeah. I, I, I really believe that happens to us, that yeah. we are guided yeah. if we just listen. And it's hard to get people to listen, you know? And that's... Yeah. So kudos to you, brother. <laughs> Thank you. Thank yeah. you. We've been talking to Christopher Lee. He is an all kind of uh, wonderful guy. Right now he works on leather, <laughs> salt and light leather. And, and, folks, hey, if you want to get some leather goods, go to his website, or not his website, go to his Facebook page, right. Salt and Light Light Leather, Salt and Light Leather, or you can go to his personal page, Christopher M. Lee, and uh, maybe you can get something for the upcoming uh, Hanukkah or Christmas celebrations and Leather lasts a long time. Yep. He may even, uh, you know, throw in a, re- a little recipe there. No, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That would be great. Throw me a uh, five-by-six yeah. card on the inside of how to make right. Twinkies or something. Oh, <laughs> there okay. you go. We want that secret recipe, Chris. Come on. <laughs> Come on, get yeah. <laughs> Chris, thanks very much for being on St. Louis in Tune. We yeah. greatly appreciate Thank it. Thank you so much. We appreciate you listening to this episode of St. Louis in Tune. Take time to look at the show notes on the website for everything that was mentioned on this episode. St. Louis in Tune is produced in cooperation with KWRH 92.9 FM and Motif Media Group. For St. Louis in Tune, I'm Arnold Strickland.